you wanted the best, but you're shit out of luck. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. We're here to waste some of your time and hopefully entertain you for a little bit. So thank you for letting us into your head. Hope we don't do any damage. Welcome to Episode 6 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for joining us and spending some time with us. I'd like to welcome back Jay and Lonnie. And we've got a new guy this week, so I'd like to introduce Ken. Uh, or let, actually, uh, Ken introduce himself. So, Ken, why don't you uh, give an introduction to yourself? All right. My name is Ken. Uh, you may know me as 69th Blizzard on the forum. I don't post a whole lot, but uh, I'm out there, and I'm usually reading almost every day out there. Um, I'm from the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, I became a fan in 1977. Um, I think about a year or two before that, I had a chance to become a fan when a friend across the street showed me the Kiss's first album, which uh, I saw. I thought, well, what are clowns playing music for? You know, um, I thought that was strange. But um, <clears throat> later on in 77, uh, I had another fa- friend approach me with, uh, he started to play a, an album for me, and it was. Uh, started off mellow with acoustic and all of a sudden started blaring in. And I was like, whoa, I jumped back. I said, what is this? And it was turned out to be rock and roll over. Uh, I want you. So uh, ever since then, I've been uh, a fan. Um, my first song, my first album, first Kiss album was uh, Alive 2. Um, my favorite is Rock and Roll Over. That was the first one that kind of got me into it. And I still, it holds up sonically. And the songs and everything else on it was great. Um, uh, my favorite member of the band was uh, always, well, usually Gene Simmons. Um, back back in the day, if I we dressed up as Kiss, I was always Gene. So uh, I kind of liked his uh, philosophy of the Ellie's no no drugs and no you know, uh, drinking kind of thing. So and that's it. And I'm glad to be here. Well, that's really cool. Thanks a lot for joining us. It's great to get more and more people on the FAQ participating on these uh, on these calls so that we can kind of uh, show the KISS Army who we are rather than just being anonymous people on a message board. And if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, that's awesome. So am I, obviously. So, you know, uh, kind of amazing that uh, someone just down the road ends up on a call. So uh, let's get into today's topic. And it's kind of a, a timely topic for what's going on you know on the calendar right now well or some of it will be uh but today's topic is what do you think are the top five moments in history and these are you know kind of your personal top five rather than i guess trying to define what the band's top five are because most of those are going to be pretty um straightforward so you know i'm i think i'm going to let someone else take the lead today um you know rather than me monologuing any longer. So, uh, Lonnie, why don't you kick it off with one of yours? <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, for me, and I thought about this for a little bit, but the top five moments in history, for me, when KISS was their biggest, their absolute biggest, is June 28th, 1996. Tiger Stadium. You won the best, you got the best. The hottest band in the world kiss and like gene says in the second coming that night they were and you can watch that show and i know there's flaws in that show they weren't perfect that night and even the first song there's a big flaw in deuce with yeah. peter's drumming but 
for what it is, that show, Tiger Stadium, sold out, 45 minutes. That, to me, is the biggest single moment for the band ever. And I don't care what they do after that. They will never be as big as they were that night. And they were bigger that night than they had been in 1977. Agreed. Yeah, and... and you know, if, if you listen to the most recent episode of Three Sides and Jeff's talking a little bit about the uh, this show, you know, they, they kind of just come on stage, here's Kiss, and all of a sudden it is Time Warp on steroids back to 1977 and what those people who were fans back then, obviously I could be revisionist because uh, I wasn't a fan in 77, what they thought that show was, you know, for, for you guys, I mean... Ken, you got into the band and with a, you know Alive too in that era. You know how do you see Tiger Stadium? See, that's very huge. I mean, the first time I saw Kiss was the '79 Dynasty tour, and so that was my only chance to see the original lineup. So when uh, the reunion thing happened, and with the appearing on the Grammy Awards, and then the big uh, conference on the aircraft carrier out there um that reunion thing was big because I, I wanted to see the original lineup again because that was always you know the the standard for me and uh it, i don't know the tiger stadium i kind of expected more um i thought there'd be a little bit more flash there but uh and i think they had what the weenie roast uh, just before that the warm-up so i remember seeing a little bit of that um but uh yeah, that was that was huge, and that tour was they were selling out everywhere, and uh, you know, I, I me getting tickets to that tour, I was way back, and I, I got there early to pick up the tickets, you know, so it, it didn't make sense. But yeah, I, was, I agree with uh, Lonnie because that was one of the five on my list. The reunion tour was huge. Jay, and and, and and even leading up to that, they're on the cover of every magazine out there. I mean, not only just the, the four covers on Spin Magazine, but Hit Parader, Metal Edge, Forbes Magazine. They're on the cover of every everything going. They were the biggest band. And I remember I went to the St. Louis show, which was the third show of the tour, and it sold out like in 30 minutes. And my brother and I were in the rafters on Ace's side of the stage. And yeah, we were up top, but we and we didn't have great seats, but we just felt so lucky just to be there because so many of our friends and people that we knew weren't going because it sold out immediately. And I, I just think they, they will never be as big as they were for the, for those, especially the early stages of the reunion tour. They, they really were the biggest band and the hottest band in the world. And to me that, that tiger stadium is the culmination of everything leading up to that after MTV unplugged. And it just, Bam! There they are, and and could could have they done more? Like, yeah, they, they I mean they could have done more than just saying you want the best, you got the best, and here they are finally. You know, I I really thought there'd be some kind of like video montage leading up to that point before they jumped on stage that night, or just something to present the band even bigger than what they were. But that Tiger Stadium show, and that's why flaws and all, it's on Kissology three because that night was just that moment was just the biggest moment of their career. Jay, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, actually that was on my list as well. Um, I actually originally 
my one of my top uh, moments was just the reunion in general because there were so many great moments uh, involving the reunion. You know, from the Grammys uh, surprise appearance, which you know I saw coming because I'd heard some rumblings about it, but uh, wasn't a hundred percent sure. That right there was an amazing moment. I think um, you know the the USS Intrepid. Uh, press conference was a fantastic moment, especially having Conan O'Brien, uh, you know, MC the event. But yeah, Tiger Stadium, I was one of the fortunate lucky souls that got to go to Tiger Stadium. Uh, I lived in Indiana at the time, and my wife at the time, and my best friend, who was also a raging KISS fanatic, uh, the three of us made the pilgrimage up to Detroit. We got tickets for a reasonable price. I think I got mine for 125 bucks a pop, um, which, considering how quickly it sold out, we were we were grateful for that. Um, I will say yes, they were a little low on uh, pyrotechnics and whatnot. But if you were there, you weren't even paying attention to that. The, there was so much electricity in that venue that I, I can't even put it into words. By far the probably the most memorable concert I've ever been to in my life, especially Kiss show. Um, I had no idea how special it was going to be other than being, you know, the first date of the reunion tour. But since they'd already done the weenie roast before, I kind of felt like maybe it would be anticlimactic, but not at all. I was actually standing outside the one of the uh, one of the portolet toilets waiting for my turn to go to the bathroom. And there was a line of a ton of people and it was in between the it was it was before Kiss went on. And um, the lights went down just as I was getting ready to go in, and I, I had to make a split-second decision. And I was like, <laughs> screw this, I'm going back to my seat. So, uh, But I will tell you, man, it was electric, especially when the lights dropped down. You hear that all-familiar rump, that, that monotone drone that always precedes the big intro. And then I remember looking up and seeing helicopters you know, swarming overhead, which to me, I'd never experienced a helicopter at a venue. You know, that alone was just bizarre. Um, but there was just, I was surrounded by people. I was on the floor, um, and I was just maybe a little closer to Gene's side of the stage. But um, I remember the guy next to me was having such a freak out over the whole thing. He was crying uncontrollably. And, like, I don't know what he was shouting because it was too loud. But the dude completely passed out and fell backwards off his chair. And this couple <laughs> behind him were trying to push him back up. And they ended up going and, and getting, I don't know, meds, medics or something. Some guys ended up taking him out, and I never saw him again. But it was, uh, it was pretty intense, man. And, you know, definitely, I think uh, Tiger Stadium certainly qualifies for one of the all-time great moments. You know, probably not one of the band's most fierce and tight performances i'm sure they were as nervous as as the fans were um about you know the first show of the tour but it was amazing man we'll talk about taking the tiger by the balls to t have your first show of the tour in detroit <laughs> in the heartland the homeland of the band yeah. um and that's just how many of you i mean I, I had this as my number one of my top five moments because i just don't see anything else coming close uh, i mean did everyone else have this on their list of their top five yeah, I had it on mine. I didn't rank them because it was just so hard to rank all these little milestones that I kind of have with the band. So I didn't bother ranking it, but I would certainly say that would be probably number one or two for me. Yeah, it's definitely number one for me. 
no doubt. I had out three, but I wasn't putting it in any particular order, so. And I still kick myself. I missed that whole tour. I was living in England at the time and uh, wow. going to university uh, in Canterbury down south. And the admin on the FAQ didn't see a show on the reunion tour. That is breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, it was it was horrible for me to travel, and I can't remember if I'd drunk all my money in the student union or I'd blown it all on postage tape trading. But uh, I, I sure did build up a lot of. Uh, audio bootlegs during that tour so <laughs> right on all right so let's move on to number two and i'm going to pick this one just so i get it in there before someone else grabs one of mine and my number five pick is dick clark's in concert 1974 the band's first major um tv appearance in the united states and that whole appearance is absolutely amazing to me even looking back on it now um, and just before I talk about it, I do want to give a shout out to Ross Radley. If you're on Facebook, go and check out his uh, Magic the Kiss Chronicles 1973 to 83 uh, group. He posted some absolutely killer photos from that today, which just makes this pick so topical. Um, so we'll we'll post that in one of the links for this because uh, it's a really cool project that Ross is working on. It's uh, going to be hopefully a book project. Um, a day-by-day -day accounting of the band's first 10 years um, that he hopes to be the definitive uh, history for that period. So it's really cool. And he's getting a whole bunch of uh, very neat photos up on the Facebook group. So check it out, join it, like it, um, and support him because he's a good guy. Uh, but getting back to this is, you know, it's it's only three songs are broadcast on that. Um, it's un a little bit uncomfortable because they're green, but... It's just so important to history for me that, you know, seeing, you know, Nothing to Lose, Firehouse, and Black Diamond perform live um, just goes beyond description. And according, of course, to the guys in Kiss Alive Forever, they also did Deuce, but those tapes have apparently been lost. So um, that's my pick. Is that on anyone else's list? It's not on my list, but... Yeah, their first first major television appearance playing those three classic songs live. As far as just put yourself in that moment, put yourself in the band's shoes at that moment. That wow, here we are on Dick's, Dick Clark's show playing to a national audience. In your young kids in your twenties, you probably think, "Wow, we've I think, you know this is this is it. You know we're we're making it." But I didn't have it on my top moments, but I can see. Um, yeah, and just to think of how they got that. I mean, that's insane for a band who wasn't selling product. What the album had been out five, six weeks at that point. So it's either Neil Bogart or Bill, um, you know, pulling some pretty major strings. That, I mean, that's just a, an absolute coup for a band. I mean, that would be like some no-name band down at your local pub with some original songs getting on, uh, you know, do we have any music shows left on TV nowadays? Uh, <laughs> I think those days are long. Yeah, the, the, those I are, guess the Tonight Show is about the only thing you have left. Maybe there's a musical act, but that's about it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just insane how they pulled that one off. Uh, so, real yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was uh, not on my list, but, of course, I was thinking not only personally, but more so just what I thought maybe were Kiss's top five moments as a band 
I mean, I've side distanced myself a little bit from some of the things that I that I chose. But if if I had to go personal picks, I would definitely put in concert up there for sure. Uh, I have a total fascination with that footage. I'd love to find out if that footage is even something that could be licensed because I'd love to see it in, uh, you know, at least off, direct off the master. I'd love to see a better quality copy of that footage because I think it's so fascinating to watch just to see them in such an early stage of their development, you know, but yeah, it's a great moment for sure. Good pick. No. It uh, wasn't on my list, but uh, I, I know it's a big moment. At least I, I'm able to see it in, you know, on the uh, Kissology series and, and go back and kind of imagine what it was like, you know, being there the day it was, did air on TV. Um, so, and I, I wasn't picking moments I thought were the band's most huge moments, but uh, maybe more, you know, big for me uh, that re- I could relate to uh, or my, what, what I experienced or what really, you know, hit me uh, at the time it happened. So, See, I didn't have a choice. Becoming a fan in 85, I got to go back into the archives <laughs> to find to find my top five uh, because Asylum just is not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> As much of as much of an underrated album as I, I I say it is. All right, let's move on. Ken, how about a pick from you? Uh, I'm gonna pick uh, the uh, Tom Schneider show, uh, 1979 Halloween. Um, that was the first real uh, experience I I saw Kiss actually, you know, speaking. Right? What? Never heard them. Usually, Paul would speak on stage, but that was different. Uh, than what he does in person or in an interview. That was a real first interview I saw, and, uh, and it, I would call it a major interview because it lasted a while, and Tom Snyder was pretty huge back then on the late-night um, circuit on TV. And uh, I remember it was Halloween, and I saw the original showing when it first aired, and uh, I, it, we just came back from... Uh, Trick, well, we didn't trick or treat. I was a little old for that at that time, but we were out as a skating rink and we were dressed up as Kiss and I was Gene Simmons. So I came back. I knew it was going to be on that night and uh, I watched it when it appeared and I thought it was the, you know, the coolest thing in the world. And uh, I didn't know Ace was drunk at the time. I just thought he was, you know, a, a, a comic, you know. So. Uh, I thought that was huge. It was huge for me, and I love to go back to and, and watch that over and over. I gotta ask, what was your impression of Ace's laugh? If you're hearing them for the first time, here they are, you know, not not live, but on slightly delayed, you know, hearing that freaking laugh for the first time. Oh, it was crazy! It was hilarious. It's almost shocking in a way the first time you hear it, uh, just the way he cackles. Um, uh, it was hilarious, and the thing with Gene Simmons on that, you know, he looks so he already looks mean or, or mad with the makeup, right? But then he was kind of getting ticked off there. Oh yeah, like why is he so, you know, man? Well, I mean, he's just in character, right? <laughs> yeah, I have that as my number two on my list. Just you know, Ace and Peter. That is the one moment, pretty much in all of history that they steal the show from Gene and Paul. Yeah. I mean, you, I think everyone can visualize Gene and Paul's sideway glances, look of annoyance, uh, look of fear. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, it's it's glorious in that sense. Yeah, especially it, the uh, Gene Simmons "Hi Mom" tension breakers thrown in for good measure, just because he was didn't know what else to say. That was awesome. <laughs> but but it's a toy gun, a toy. Yeah, okay, nice try. <laughs> right. to, to, right. Total total fail. No yeah. I just I just look love the look of Peter on that whole that whole show where Ace is cackling away, talking on space bears and plumbing. Peter just <laughs> Peter looks ready to keel over to me. Peter looks like he's just in a daze the whole time. Like you, Peter, Peter probably has no recollection of that whatsoever because he looks just completely out of his mind. Like he doesn't even know where he is, what he's doing, what's going on. <laughs> but I'll tell you what that that Tom Snyder interview is just fantastic. And um, obviously, I didn't. I was born in '79, so I didn't see it. But uh, going back and like discovering footage like that. Like watching, discovering, I, I bought like a bootleg DVD with like a bunch of interviews on it when I was in high school, I guess. And I found that and it was on there. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and it just keeps going and going. And then he gets out this bear. He starts dressing up this bear with the costume. I'm like, what is going on? Please put the bear down. <laughs> yeah. It is. And, and, and I, even today, I'll go back and watch it, and I and I still laugh out loud every single time I watch it. It is just the most hysterical interview in their entire career. And you're right; it is the one moment. It is the one moment that Ace and Peter steal the show, and Gene and Paul just sit there and they can't do anything about it, and just looking at their faces, saying "Hi, mom," and telling Ace, "Don't do it, don't do it." And <laughs> They just can't do it. They're just stuck, and they can't do anything about it. It's just, it's just fantastic. All right, when when Jay's ready, uh, I think Jay. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess on my list, I, I put Cadillac High, um, and I guess maybe the reason it's maybe a bigger deal to me than some Kiss fans is because it was close to home. Uh, being from Indiana, uh, we're still geographically fairly close to to Cadillac, Michigan. Um, I, you know, I, I don't remember it happening in real time as far as I don't remember hearing anything about the lead up to that moment. Uh, but I do remember hearing about it maybe six months to a year later. And that was kind of my first, uh, my first experience with it. And then I think I saw some, maybe some articles in 16 magazine or one of those, one of those, uh, monthly magazines back in the day that kiss was always in. But I just think that moment, you know, it's, it's, it was a, when you think about it, the Kiss Army had just basically been conceived a few months prior, um, gaining traction in the Midwest. They've already had some success in, in Michigan and Detroit. This particular uh, thing with Cadillac High, I kind of think portrayed the band as, as a band for the people. Um, they hadn't quite become the larger-than-life, almost godlike entity that they became post-Destroyer. Um, they were still kind of a ragtag, you know, group of four obnoxious, scary New Yorkers. Um, and so that moment, they sort of became the protagonist, and I think they endeared themselves more so to the Kiss Army, but also just to the general public, I think. 
think that was kind of the first calculated move towards the mainstream. Um, obviously, I think that all kind of culminated with the success of Beth. But I think that was definitely one of the first early things that Kiss did um, that really sort of helped them on their ascent to national recognition. Uh, and, you know, so when you toss in the release of Alive, and then you have <clears throat> the Kiss Army starting up in Terre Haute, and then you've got Cadillac High, that's like a trifecta of badassery all in a very, very short period of time. So that's definitely a, a top fiver for me, for sure. So that took place in, what, October 75. So Alive has just come out. It's just, it's a marketing ploy for a failing band and label because that label had no money. The band had no money. They had no national exposure yet. Alive hadn't broken. You know, that's like, that's a month away. So, I mean, that's just an incredible part of history. And my holy grail is a complete recording of that show Absolutely. that they did in the gym. I would love um, you know, never enough, but that whole thing, you know, Jim Neff and the, the kiss defense and the, the formation of the army, you know, Bill Starkey, it, it's just such an incredible foundation part of what we, I guess what we're still celebrating today. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. the, it's the beginning. I mean, the TV show in 74 is wow. That's cool. But here is something very organic um, being done, and what's the story that they couldn't afford the helicopter ride, so they yeah. do it from outside of yeah. town, just you know, appearances, and to yeah. know how they were struggling and about to, you know, basically go bankrupt the label. I mean, insane, insane part of history. Yep, for sure. No, right. no, I don't, I didn't have it on my top five either, but it, that's one that I guess would be. If I were to do a six or a seven, it would definitely be on there. I mean, and that and that footage that's on Kissology is is really fantastic. Considering the age of that, you look at that footage on Kissology; it looks really crisp and really clear for for how old it was and and how it was even filmed um, on the fly almost. But that plane in Cadillac and is one of those moments that no one has no one's ever duplicated anything even close to that, I don't think. And we, I drove to Sault Ste. Marie to see a show back in 07, and I was trying to talk my brother and said, hey, let's let's go to Cadillac and like just go by the high school just to, just to check things out. How cool would that be? He's like, hey, it's four hours out of the way. We are not doing that. You are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they actually have a display. They have a display in the school still. And, you know, I, I guess the city of Cadillac still talks about that you know all these years later so you wouldn't have been like some creepy touristy kind of guy that's what I you'd be like him. everybody else do this yeah, all the time. yeah. You know, people do this all the time i swear he goes no we are not doing that <laughs> <laughs> that was uh that one was not on my list but uh, that would have been huge uh, for me if they came to my high school it would have been the perfect time i was in high school during that time period but uh I just can't imagine how that must have been for all the kids that were there. Um, though even though Kiss wasn't very well known then, they're like it must have been a kind of a shock of who is this, you know? Um, but aren't they supposed to make a movie of this, right? Uh, I thought you they know, were making it. Yeah, I think Gene is, is, <laughs> Yeah. I think Gene is like, 
you know, we're on top of it. We've it's already in production, and you know, but you never know with Gene. It would be nice to see though something like that. That would be awesome. Honestly, I think the movie Detroit Rock City would have been so much more interesting had the premise been based on Cadillac High yeah. instead of instead of the bogus excuse they came up with to make that movie. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about schools, there's only really other one other school appearance that the band ever did, and that was the right. 1976 Friend? M&M's contest. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, when they played the junior high school for the contest, winners uh, would get schools to send in vouchers, and whichever school sent in the most would get a KISS concert in their gym. So Cadillac High and what's that, Mount Prospect, Illinois, River Trails Junior High were the two kind of school shows. Friend doesn't really count, you know, because uh, it's not a, like a, a, a gimmick promotional type thing. So, you know, really, really cool. Cadillac, you know, I can, I think it's one of the high points on the Kissology is that footage. Yeah, just, just how it's all put together. A couple good websites that people can search out on the web as well. Uh, for Neff Zone, Jim Neff used to have a bunch of stuff up on a website that was made a fun read. It was uh, some of the letters that he sent the band. Um, you know, very cool. All right, let's move on to another one. Uh, who goes next? Lonnie. All right. my This is my number two, and it's probably on a lot of your guys' lists too, but the MTV Unplugged appearance and reuniting the original members for the first time um, since 1979. And for me, this one was just, it's almost a 1A for me because it's, it was 1995 and internet really hadn't taken off or anything like that. And I remember watching MTV. I didn't know about it. I mean, I know what happened in August, but I didn't know about it. And I remember watching MTV the week before Halloween saying, Oh, Kiss is on MTV Unplugged on Halloween night. And I'm like, I'm sitting there watching it with my girlfriend, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Kiss is going to be on, you know, MTV Unplugged. And she's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And because Kiss was, I mean, put yourself back in 1995. Kiss was not popular in the fall. Off the of radar completely. Not at all. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. So Halloween night, it's on. I'm in the basement of my house, and I'm watching the performance oh they're playing sure no something they're playing coming home they're playing see you tonight this is great and i'm talking to her on the phone and they're playing every time i look at you and i can i just still remember this to this day and they get done playing every time i look at you and paul stanley goes we got some members of the other family here tonight and i'm not talking about mom and dad I'm talking about peter chris and ace freely and i freaked out I mean, because I had no idea it was coming. I'm 15, 16 years old. There's no internet leaking telling me, hey, this is what happened. I had no idea. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, like, screamed like an 11-year-old girl when they came out. <laughs> Swear to God. It was unbelievable to me that they came out. I, I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then they, they didn't play 2,000 Man. When you're watching it on MTV, they didn't play 2,000 Man. They went straight into Beth and played that. And... I, I was just in heaven watching it. And it, to me, that, that, that moment that they came out on MTV Unplugged is just, it, it's, it's still one of my top, it's, it's like, like I said, it's like a 1A to me that when the band reunited like that. And, you know, I remember when the album came out in March and I can remember walking to the, 
I got out of school and I was waiting for a ride to get picked up from school, but and, and that album was coming out and I had to have it. So I didn't even want to wait till I got home. So I walked to the music store down the street from school and bought it and then came back to school so that when I got home, I could listen to it right away. I didn't have to waste time of getting home and then going to the music store because I had to have it immediately. Cause, <laughs> and at that point, it was, and by that time, it was March of 96. After that album came out, they already had the Grammy appearance and you, you knew what was coming. They still hadn't officially announced the reunion tour even when, the, even when that album came out, but you knew it was coming. And that moment that, that Ace and Peter came out on MTV Unplugged is just, it's still my, it was just, it just blew my mind. It was just amazing. See, I didn't get to watch that at the time. I was living in Glasgow, and I had to wait until March when the video and CD came out. And just, it was magic. And that remains one of my all-time favorite Kiss albums, videos, whatever. Mm -hmm. Just, it is perfection. Um, amazing performances, number one. Great, great set list or, or track listing, depending on which. Um, and the magic of Ace and Peter and... Poor old Boo, Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> uh, on the bootleg at least. Uh, you know that's just one of the saddest moments in history. That's such a melancholy moment because once once they were out with Peter and Ace again. By the time I saw this in what in March '96, we all knew what was coming, and it was you kind of know that it's the end of the era there, and. Yeah. So it's melancholy, but it's also bloody awesome. So, mm, yeah, I agree. It's also, it was also on my list as well, and and I think I I think I had heard rumors about it. I don't remember how I how I heard about it, but I I think I was expecting something like that to happen. But still, when when Ace Peter walked out on the stage, I was floored, man. I mean, so much so that I will totally admit I cried. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I was married at the time, and my wife's like, you are a blooming idiot. She was a Kiss fan, too. But, yeah, I was a, I was a heap of tears by the end. Uh, but it was just vindication, especially for, you know, me, because my time with Kiss goes back to the original four early on. And so I had already been... I had spent so many years following the band in that sort of golden era that when the split happened, it was heartbreaking for me. Just Peter leaving alone was bad, was bad enough. And although Eric did an admirable job, uh, it was never the same after that. And then when Ace was gone, it was just a whole different kind of experience. So seeing those guys come out on that stage, in light of the fact that just the year before, there was all kinds of shit talking going on, Peter and Ace saying things about gene and paul and vice versa uh there was a lot of acrimony um between those two camps between those two factions so to see them all on stage smiling and you know sort of creating history together was a goosebump inducing minute for sure yeah that'd be in mind and for, top five. and for collectors out there, there are several DVDs of rehearsals for this event that you can be the fly on the wall and watch the band rehearsing for the broadcast. That makes for a very interesting viewing, as does, of course, the uh, the uncut version of the mm -hmm. of the performance. Which I mean, what six takes to get rock and roll all night, right? Um, I, I think Paul's the MVP of MTV Unplugged. By the way, every yeah. time I look at you, and I still love you. 
are two of what I think are his greatest vocal performances he um, ever. That is just unbelievable. You know, the whole band are on fire, so great, great no. part of history. Absolutely. Um, going back to that, after, after they did the MTV Unplugged, um, Peter and Ace came to, t- t- came to St. Louis um, in December of 95. They're still doing the Bad Boys tour even after that. Um, like they still had a few more dates booked on that. And they came, they came, Peter's band came on, and they did their set. And Peter's band gets done about 9 o'clock. Okay, we're waiting for Ace's band. <laughs> 10 o'clock rolls around. 11 o'clock rolls around. No Ace, really. <laughs> Ace finally comes on stage like at 11.30. Loud, out of his mind. And I look at my brother, I'm like, this reunion short ain't happening. He's out of his mind. And six months later, we saw him on the reunion tour. At least on the reunion, he was vertical because, of course, he ha- he was challenged the whole time. So that that's what I what I guess makes the Alive Worldwide thing, you know, the amazing thing in history that they kept it together, did it. But uh, yep, that was almost on my list to uh, the unplugged. I remember watching it when it aired and. Uh, I was floored when I saw, you know, Ace and Peter come out. So uh, it was very cool. And I, I remember I made sure I put a VHS uh, tape in beforehand so I could record it. And I, I watched that over and over, you know, days after that. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So, yeah, that was a big moment. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. 95, 96. So this is a magical period, I guess. The rebirth of the band, um, the birth of the band on the internet, because I watched reports of all this from Europe. You know, we didn't get to see the broadcasts. Um, collecting all of those convention um, acoustic performances was utterly addicting in that period as well, because you just never knew what was going to arrive. I mean, you, you didn't get the set list when you were trading with people back then. It wasn't all documented on the internet. There were, what, three sites? I think Roth's Rendezvous, uh, Bill and R's. I don't remember who the heck that other site was, but there was one other site, Kiss Asylum and Otaku. So there was, and of course my own site, which I started in 95 on AOL. So there wasn't much out there, but there was the news groups. Uh, AOL was big. That's where I started collecting all this stuff from the unplugged era you know it's it's the birth really of um modern fandom all right let's move on to uh another another pick i think we've moved around to ken all right um one of you guys i think may have had this on your list too is uh the solo albums uh is on my list um that was kind of huge for me um I just getting into the band in 77 and starting to then collect the, the prior albums and so on. And I was really, really starting to get into it. And then all of a sudden, Hey, Whoa, four kiss albums on one day. I was like, this is awesome. That, uh, even though they didn't sound all like kiss albums, um, it was a, it was a big moment. No other band in history has released solo albums uh, well, they have really solo albums, but not on the same day. So, you could, like, for instance, the Beatles, right? They've all really solo albums, but not on the same day like that. That was, and, and while continuing to be uh, 
in the band and stay in the band and have future albums. So, but I, it was kind of the beginning of the end though. Um, I, you know, the writing was starting to be, you know, come on the wall there at that point. So, um, it was huge. Uh, the whole thing, it was tied in with kind of, for me with the, uh, the TV movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, uh, I thought that was the greatest thing when I first saw it, but now I, I watch it now and it's, it's so, it's so, it's like watching, uh, you know, the old Batman series when you were a kid and it, it was, you thought it was so serious. And then nowadays it's, it's like, Oh, I didn't know they were joking all this time. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, that was huge with that. And, um, I remember them, uh, big advertising going on with that too. Um, I know they overshipped the albums, uh, platinum plus each one. Uh, so they took a loss on that, but, um, I remember going to the store and getting the little, I still have it today, the plastic bag that you put the solo albums in, and they would hand out, uh, along with it. So. That, that was kind of a big deal for me, and it's, it was like a ton of music all at once uh, I could just listen to that was Kiss-related. Do you recall which one you listened to first? Well, yeah, what I, I listened to first was Gene Simmons because being my favorite. So uh, it started off, you know, yeah, radioactive, and I thought, okay, this is going to... Then it, it took some weird turns, you know, unexpected. <laughs> but, you know, before... What in the hell's going on? Yeah, yeah, but before <laughs> Kiss, I was listening, you know, before Kiss, I was listening to... Uh, you know, Linda Ronstadt, uh, you know, Neil Sedaka, Carver. This is before I switched over to Kiss. I mean, it was a tragic, you know, change from one to the other. So it didn't bother me so much. I thought it was kind of strange that I didn't expect these other songs from Gene Simmons. I liked it when he does the Beatle type music, you know, style. Um, but I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed most of the music on most of the albums. Where I still enjoy it today. What about Peter Chris's album? I gotta ask. <laughs> well, Peter, I wasn't a fan of Beth so much. So um, I, there was probably about four standout songs on that for me, um, and then the rest is like, you know, eh. it was just I wanted more, you know, heavier rock. You know, I'm more on the heavier side of uh, Kiss. Yeah, the solo albums are historic, without doubt. You know, Casablanca, it, it, it took the balls of someone like Neil Bogart to even think about that. He was warned off printing more than, I think, 850,000 copies of each. He's like, no, I'm going to go, you know, 1.2 million of each. So I think they printed, you know, 5 million of them and then two, had 2 million returns. And then uh, they started, I, I think it affected the industry. On number one, how how your album shipments were counted for gold and platinum certifications by the by the RIAA uh, was affected, and also um, Polygram, which had bought into Casablanca at the time, wouldn't let them press as many copies. So I mean, he he would ship anything. Uh, read Larry Harris's book. I mean, that's got a lot of the minutia, and also C.K. Uh, Lentz. Kiss and Sell both go well into how the solo albums destroyed Casablanca Records, uh, but I don't think they're totally to blame. Totally historic. Very cool. All right. Uh, I'm going to pick one. I've only got one left because we've picked everything else off my list. Uh, my number four pick is Kiss Alive, and we kind of already touched on it with uh, talking about Cadillac, but it is the one album. If I was only allowed to have one Kiss album 
it would be alive. It's the best of the first three studio albums. It's the band absolutely on fire, um, regardless of how much may have been done in the studio. I don't think that's pertinent. But it is, it's the starting point for the band's success. Obviously, it's the album that broke first. It's the perfect tour, the near-perfect tour. That set list, 16 songs, I think, just pure, concise, unfiltered, purely distilled kiss on one album. So, Kiss Alive. Without it, obviously, there wouldn't have been Destroyer, or there wouldn't be Casablanca Records. So, its importance both to the label, to the band, it kept them on Casablanca, it um, allowed the label time and money, it allowed the band to get some money finally as well. So, it's uh, not only from the historic point, but just the artistic point. It's perfection. So, that's my final pick. I agree. Not at all, man. No, can't, I, can't I deny agree. that. Yeah, there was nothing on there. That, that's the standard for uh, all live albums, um, you know, that came after it. So, um, that one, um, even though, yes, there may have been some other uh, recordings going on to, to touch things up, it's still the raw the raw uh, kids. I wish I, I wish they would release the uh, original without the uh, changes, the original recordings. Uh, I would not, that would be a nice 40th anniversary of that uh, album, which is what I, I think believe this year, and they're going to do it on the uh, the cruise, uh, from what I hear. So, yeah, that would actually make a great box set. Your primary recordings from Kiss Alive. On their own, standalone. You know, Metallica's released its concerts for for a long time. Pearl Jam did the same. You know, how about a Kiss box set with all of those master, untouched, you know, board recordings? Uh, what was it? The Mark of the Quad. Um, obviously, Detroit, uh, Wildwood, and I always forget the uh, Davenport, Iowa. So, all of those shows. They, I, I think, they would make a fantastic box set. Um, that geeks would eat up and you know the 4,000 copies it would sell we'd really enjoy so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's why they're not doing it <laughs> well you know if they're willing to do Kisteria you know if they're willing to do these K40 albums well why not a vinyl box set each one of those would be a double LP you know if they're going to do small print runs these days at 50 bucks a, for a double LP uh, I don't see any reason why it can't be done because you're not going to do any touch-up work on those recordings other than making them into records, which isn't a horrendously complex process. So I don't think there's any economic reason to say, well, it's only going to sell 2,000 copies. Well, the Kisteria box set only sold at most, what is it, 1,000 that they made of those? So I think so, yeah. I, I don't think any of those excuses in the modern market actually hold any water whatsoever. So it's all down to their imagination. Or lack thereof. Yep. All right. Any other picks for the top fives that we haven't covered? Yeah, um, I've got uh, I've got the Paul Inn special, which I which I think is a pretty significant moment in history. Although you had in concert and you had the Merv Griffin or not Merv Griffin? Well, who was it? Mike Douglas. Mike Douglas. God, I can't believe I forgot who it was. Uh, you know, Mike Douglas was a daytime show, so you had a limited audience there. Um, in concert was more of a niche thing because it was a Friday night. Um, 
series once a month. Um, so it wasn't like in regular weekly rotation. So it was more of a niche audience. Paul Lynn was the first time Kiss really was in prime time television aimed at what ended up becoming their prime demographic, you know, the young teenagers and, and even younger. Um, and I actually missed the Paul Lynn special. I didn't even know a thing about it until it had already come and gone. And I was just devastated that I missed it. And, uh, but you know, I rem- now that I've seen it a thousand times over the years, I can look back on that and see how significant it was. I mean, if you factor in the fact that the, the Beth single had just dropped in August of 76, Hard Luck Woman came in November, and then you've got Paul Lynn right there in between, which I think that may have propelled, maybe helped propel Beth a little bit, and certainly maybe helped propel Hard Luck Woman. Um, and I think those three things all together, sort of in orchestration with one another, played a big part in sort of helping Kiss to become the household name, the Gallup poll winner, blah, 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 that they ended up becoming the following year. So I don't know. I think it's a pretty significant moment in history. And it's certainly one of the more surreal moments in history, for sure. Yeah, and a really Detroit Rock City, Beth and King in the Nighttime World, for some reason I can't guess, love them and leave them out of my head. But what an awesome appearance that is as well. I mean, fully, you know, skits, them participating in a show, um, who was at the Wicked Witch of the West was on that. Margaret Hamilton. Yeah. Um, you know, major national exposure again. Midnight Special the previous year was was what? Did it take place at midnight? It was a, a late night music show. So. Yeah, it was Saturday nights. Yeah. So, Saturday like nights. you say, you know, it is mainstream that the kids are watching. And how many people, how many musicians of the modern era have cited? the Paul Lind Halloween special as being their Beatles 64 experience for the next yeah. generation. You know, how cool is that? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely, you know, I know a lot of people myself who will say that Paul Lind was sort of their introduction to the band. So that's, you know, that's pretty awesome. And I mean, when I look at the video now, the, the backdrop where they're actually performing, you know, this kind of mansion looking thing with these awesome, like torches and just the beauty of the footage itself yeah. is pretty astounding. It's really too bad that they, that the destroyer stage wasn't fashioned more like that than what it ended up becoming, which it was an ambitious idea to begin with. But I, I, I thought the backdrop for the Paul in special, just that footage is just some of the most uh, astounding visually uh, visual footage of the band I've ever seen. It's pretty awesome. Man. Pretty awesome. So I wonder if Gene had any fun with uh, Marie Osmond, Betty White, or Florence Henderson, who were all on that, or or Pink Tuscadero. Good chance. <laughs> <laughs> or at least he tried. All right. Other ones. That was actually on my list, and I would completely skipped over that's, it. That, that's a good one. Um, as far as being on in primetime television, you know, target audience being hit. Um Mine is isn't a tele. I have one that's not a television appearance, but it's to me it's a it's a big moment for the band that kind of said that they would that they're bigger than just a band, and that is when they poured their own blood into the Marvel comic Red Ink, and 
yeah, we've all seen the news report of them doing that. But in that moment, put, put yourself in the band's shoes at that moment that you're doing that. You're pouring your blood into the comic book that your band is putting out in 1977. You are more than that. At that point, Kiss became more than just a band. I mean, and Gene said it a million times. You don't see the Eagles having their own comic book, but <laughs> you know, not only are you in this band that's that's becoming more and more popular, but you're you're releasing your own comic book. You're pouring your own blood into the red ink. I mean, you are more than just a band at that point. And what came after that? Obviously, more merchandising: the dolls, the trash cans, the record players, everything else that came after that. But at that. At that moment, KISS became more than just a band. And considering what KISS is today, I think that moment of them pouring their blood into the red ink really is a signature moment in the band's history that they are more than just songs on the albums. But for some, it's also kind of illustrative of when they became a cartoon themselves. And that's true also. But that moment, I think it's very big in the band's history. Yeah, very cool moment. And what's the story on that? That they didn't actually use the ink in the cartoon. Yeah, no, they that's got used hurt. used in a swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated or something. <laughs> uh, well, you can't you can't forget Kiss removing their makeup on MTV too, which I think is another really viable uh, big history moment. You know, I remember how much I was pissed that they were even doing it to begin with because I was totally pro makeup. Um, I thought it was the absolute worst thing they could do, but looking back, it was huge. I mean, nobody gave a rat's ass about kiss until word leaked that they were going to take their makeup off on TV. And then people that didn't care about kiss watched just out of curiosity. It was a brilliant marketing move. Um, and, you know, that gained them huge traction with a whole different audience. And the fact that they used it just prior to the, it was kind of a tie-in to the Lick It Up video, um, you know, I mean, it was just very well orchestrated, even though, you know, sort of the, the KISS organization, as it had been for so long, was kind of breaking apart at that point. That's um, maybe the last real brilliant marketing ploy the band ever did well, it was the last card they had to play it wasn't it really they had they, yeah. ha they had nothing left oh, yeah. and i, I don't want to seem too revisionist on that but it didn't really work if if you look at it the tour numbers for lick it up versus creatures are negligible the difference the album sales lick it up didn't go gold for years uh or platinum so it, it didn't really boost the sales i think it 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 took uh, until the early 90s to hit platinum. So it didn't really result in massive sales. It didn't result in a successful tour. And they'd played their last card. So, and then we get back to, of course, Vinny didn't save Kiss. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, it got well, but it got them on MTV. And that was very big yes. all the time. That was their way to get on MTV was to take the makeup off. That got the attention, like Jay was saying. Yeah. Put it, taking the makeup off. Oh, well, everybody cares. This is interesting. But but you're right, Julian. It did not spark the album sales. It did not spark the tour attendance. You look in like some of those reference books like Kiss Alive Forever. Like I was I was really surprised, shocked when I looked at that. It's like, wow, 
I thought concert sales boosted because that's what we're spoon fed is that oh taking the makeup off that rejuvenated the band because that's what we're told over and over and over again but you look at the attendance figures that's not necess- that that is not not necessarily the case that is not the case but um but in Gene and Paul's eyes that was a taking the makeup off got them on MTV and that was very important to Gene and Paul at the time was getting on MTV yeah because I, I had never I think I saw the I love it loud video once on television and it was not on MTV. Um, in fact, I remember hearing about the video before they'd ever even, even taken the makeup off. So they were still touring behind the Creatures album. Uh, I remember hearing some of my friends say that they had seen it on some, I don't know, some random show. Um, and it was this elusive thing that I ended up not actually seeing until, I don't know, four or five years later. I mean, I didn't. It may have been uh, the Kiss Exposed video. Yeah was the very first time I actually saw that video. So, you know, I mean, even though it may not have resulted in, uh, you know, rejuvenating the band on a financial level or even popularity level, it certainly ushered them into a new era on MTV and having that support, which they may not have had, um, you know, had they continued doing the makeup thing. So, oh, absolutely. Know. That moment, them taking off the makeup, that's huge. Yeah, that was almost on my list. Um, I remember watching it, and I thought, oh, it was kind of different seeing them without the makeup. But uh, I know I went to the Lick It Up show shortly after that or early in the next year, and uh, they actually had to downgrade the, the venue because of lack of ticket sales from one to another. Um, I think it was at the Berkeley Community yeah. Theory uh, <laughs> where I saw them. So. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I knew something was, it didn't help um, at that point, but I think not until maybe a couple of years later, maybe after uh, Animal Eyes, when they started picking up more fans again with like Heaven's on Fire and, and some other songs. So um, it took a while. I think like Paul said, you know, they thought they couldn't play their instruments or, or people thought they couldn't play their instruments without the makeup, you know. That was everything for them, but it, it wasn't. They, of course, they could play their instruments. Maybe if anything else, it was uh, you know a success for the band that they proved that they could be a band without the makeup and continued on. You know, because certainly Animalize was more of a success. It, I mean, it hit nearly two million in sales. Um, the concerts increased slightly with each you know tour. I think not much more than five percent steps. I don't have Kiss Alive Forever next to me. God help me. Um, <laughs> to check it but you know animalize is a little bit better i think asylum stagnated a little bit and crazy nights slightly better again so it certainly is a foundation for the you know everything else that culminates in hot in the shade in the 80s so you know if if it made paul stanley and gene say okay we can do this you know continue on even when they can order pizzas for the audiences at shows uh you know more power to the to the event. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny though, because just, but if you listen to Gene and Paul, it's funny because they'll tell you, Oh, when we took the makeup off, it was like, bam, we're popular again. But that really wasn't, that really wasn't the case when you look at, when you look at the statistics, but they always tell you that, Oh yeah, we took the makeup off. Oh, it was re, you know, I mean, when you look through the newspapers, it got a lot of coverage. You know, you go through newspaper archives, it is all over the place. You know, 83, you're only going to read about them taking off the makeup or Ace getting arrested. So, 
it, yeah, there, there wasn't that much coverage for the band in the press, and it certainly it worked for getting awareness. Whether the awareness resulted in anyone buying the album or going to the show, it at least put them back in magazines. It put them back in the press. So, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when I went and saw when I you know I went to the uh, Lick It Up tour, I actually saw uh, the Creatures tour with the plasmatics at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis. And uh, and it was kind of a scant audience. There wasn't a whole lot of people there. I was really shocked. Um, and then I went the following year uh, to see the Lick It Up tour in 84. And um, the place looked packed. But, you know, your perception's different when you're there. You know, it's easy now to look back at the numbers and see the, you know, the true representation of how that tour went. But if you're sitting in the seats watching that show... I had no idea that those tours were, you know, that those tours were floundering on the level that they were. So there was certainly a, a perception that Kiss were doing better than they actually were, and I guess that's really, you know, perception is 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 reality. Yeah, and, so. and that that always is the danger of revisionist history. You know, looking back, our perceptions in the audience. I mean, you're there in '84. You, did you have a good time? <laughs> you know, I had a blast. Yeah, you know, that's the same thing as like the arguments in recent years of, you know, people going on about Paul's voice. It's like, well, when you're in the audience, did you have a good time? And nearly always the answer is heck yeah. So mm-hmm. that's ultimately what matters, I guess. Yeah. Yep. All right. Any yeah, any last last ones, Lonnie? I think you guys got on mine. I had Tiger Stadium, MTV, solo albums. Unmasking, which Jay just said, and and the uh, Blood in the Marvel comics. We've touched on all, all five of them. I have, I have one quick one, and it's the big one for me is just Gene and Paul having the foresight to end or leave Wicked Lester to form Kiss, and that's to me that's the biggest thing. They 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 had a vision, it wasn't fully realized yet, but they knew Wicked Lester wasn't it. So they went out, you know, and, and started recruiting the, the proper or the, the people that would fit that vision, right? Or they had the same vision as them. So that's the biggest thing for me. I wouldn't be able to join, you know, enjoy 40 plus years of, of Kiss, you know, the highs, the lows, you know, it, it's all, it was all good to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a, a quite a, a trip, you know. Roller coaster, as maybe Paul would say, uh, uh, for the forty years. So that's the biggest thing. Is you know, if they didn't do that, we may have, we may not be sitting here talking about it. Yeah, I guess uh, as an, as an artist, that must have taken a heck of a lot of guts to walk away from what record a, deal. a record deal, deal with epic. Um, yeah, to have the site foresight to say, hey, this isn't what we want to do, especially when you're offered a offered a a record deal and say, no, we're turning, we're walking away from this. That as far as moments go, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely, that's a huge moment. Because right. like you said, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a, obviously there wouldn't be a kiss. We wouldn't be sitting here talking if they would have said, yeah, let's go ahead with this wicked Lester album. I think this is, this is the goods. I mean, that's a, that's a huge moment. Say no. <laughs> and just think of what they'd done to get that record deal. Gene had fired a childhood friend from the band. Yeah, I, and they walk away from that record deal. That kind of get that gives it scope and scale. I mean, that's that's <laughs> intense. We will do anything to make it. Yeah, 
So that that's a great pick. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have uh, thought of going back to seventy two, but it certainly that's the seed. Yeah. Now if they just released the whole Wicked Lester album officially, that would Amen. be Amen. That'd be cool. Amen. All right. Anyone got any last thoughts on this one before we wrap up? And which one of these would you say is the biggest? I say Tiger. Tiger Stadium. Yeah, Reunion. Yeah, I mean, personally, definitely Tiger Stadium for sure. I mean, yeah, that was uh, kind of a, a coming home, you know, uh, a return to the beginning, sort of. So it's really too bad it didn't end then. As much as I love Kiss, it would have been more poetic when they did the farewell tour for that to be it. Now I've enjoyed these years since, but what a perfect way to end the story where it begins. No, 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 no. I didn't get to see them until (laughs) Dodger Stadium. (laughs) Nope. You know, so my first show was Dodger Stadium, so that's, uh, uh, I'm glad they didn't end and make the reunion a farewell tour. So that would have ruined my day. (laughs) More so than all the other concerts I missed throughout my life, so... All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank you, everyone, Ken, Lonnie, Jay, for joining again today. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will catch you next time.